Welcome to the Clear Choices Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Eigner, and it is my unique privilege to bring you intriguing conversations with people who have made the bold choices necessary to elevate their lives and create a positive impact on the world. By hearing their stories, I hope you walk away more motivated and more inspired to do the same in your life. Because we all have choices to make. My goal is to help inspire you to make more conscious and powerful choices, clear choices. Now let's get started. Hello, Clear Choices listeners. This is Rob Eigner. Welcome again to another episode of Clear Choices. I'm so excited to introduce you to uh, my guest today, Michael Mirish. Michael is a producer, promoter, fundraiser, and entrepreneur. His friends call him a workaholic. And he smiles with the reply, when you love what you do, you naturally want to spend as much time as you can doing it. He's a husband and a father of two amazing teenage girls. He's currently the chief executive officer of Hollywood Nights International, which is a full-service celebrity events production and promotional firm. He specializes in producing celebrity fundraising events, which include basketball, golf, tennis, skiing type events which have been phenomenally received. I've seen some of these events and they're absolutely phenomenal. He also does galas, grand openings, poker tournaments, et cetera, public appearances. He's done a number of other things in his life. He's worked at MGM. He's been a partner of a restaurant and nightclub. He's been a producer of variety shows. He was a tour producer for a a music space. And he comes from a long lineage of people in the entertainment business uh, of quite a lot of infamy. So he's, he's a great guest of ours, but he's not on the show today because of that amazing resume. He's on the show because he is a active father, an active businessman, an entrepreneur, an athletic individual, and someone who has been suffering from leukemia during all that. And he's just really impressed me because he's kept a, a positive attitude and a forward thinking attitude throughout all that. So First of all, welcome to the show, Michael. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's a pleasure. So if you don't mind, Michael, I want to just share a couple statistics I pulled up about what you're suffering with, and, uh, and we can kind of start off with you know, how you've been coping with it. So just to give the listening audience a, a sense, uh, leukemia is diagnosed right now, 62,000 people in America are expected to be diagnosed with leukemia just this year. There's about 400,000 people in the country living with or in remission from leukemia at any given time. It's about a five-year survival rate, which has improved significantly since the 60s and 70s. But still, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at approximately 22,000 people a year expected to die from this ailment. So that's quite a, you know, quite a heavy load to deal with. There's lots of, you know, things I know Michael will share with us that he's done to challenge the disease and cope with the disease. But I guess where I want to start, Michael, is, you know, you've already beat the odds and, uh, and, and having seen you in action, you have a, a quite a compelling positive attitude. So talk to me a little bit about how you, how you deal with this every day. Is it something you're thinking about every day or are you just trying to focus on your life? Like, how do you cope with this? Um, that is, uh, I think that is my daily, my daily challenge. When I wake up is, you know, I, I know those statistics, you know, I, I see the news when people 
pass away from leukemia and then where I'm watching them on TV one month and the next month I hear they, you know, or a couple months later I hear it passed. So me trying to just get up in the morning, it's like, I, I try to look at how am I going to survive to live another year? Mm-hmm. That, that is my daily goal when I get up. What am I going to do today that's going to prolong my life for at least another year? And so and, what, what are some of those things, Michael? Is it, are you talking about diet and exercise? Are you talking about attitude? Are you talking about medical procedures? Like what, what comes to mind when you say, what am I going to do today to help myself be healthier? What are some of the things that you naturally do? I think the biggest battle is the mental battle. Uh-huh. And everybody that I talk to, it seems like the mental battle is the biggest battle because when you get up, there's two decisions you have to make. You have one to either whine about what's happening to you and, and say, woe is me, or get up and, you know, carpe diem, seize the day, you know, try to go, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get through today. Uh, I'm going to do something productive with my life. And I'm not going to let any ailment or anything else stop me today. So I think the first 10 minutes of my day, that is the, the first battle I'm dealing with is the mental battle. So, so what are some of the things that you, I love that. I, lo- I love that that's an awareness you have. Yeah. And so my question would be, what are some of the, the tools or the repeatable things that you do since you know that that first 10 minutes sets your attitude? And I think that's true for everybody. I think that's true whether you have leukemia or not. I think that's true for everyone. So what are some of the things you do that you have found set up your day in the most positive way? I think it's the lifestyle change that I implemented once I got the disease and was trying to figure out what things can I do to suppress this illness and make my, my body better. And so the, the common things that, that are uh, typical in my daily routine is trying to think of all those things. So one would be diet. How am I going to start my morning off with the correct nutrients that my body needs so that it runs in a healthy fashion? So that, that's, that's item number one. You know, I drink, you know, pH water, you know, I, I drink or I eat all organic foods. Um, I try to get protein in my body first thing in the morning. You know, you're supposed to drink what a half a, half a bottle of water just to get the kind of body flow. So, you know, that part, then there's the, okay, I got to be strong enough to fight the disease. So, you know, at first I deal with mental then I deal with the internal, you know, what kind of things do I put in my body to make my body work better? And then how can I make my body function at a good rate? And that is exercise. So I tell myself, if I keep myself strong during the times when I am strong, then when I'm sick, that strength will help push me through until I can get better again. And that seems to have worked for me for all the times I get sick where it just tears me down to the point I can't do anything. It's the strength that I build up in those uptimes that kept me going through the downtimes. That's a factor. That's powerful. That's powerful. So I have a couple of questions that you brought up. So, you know, you, you talked about starting your day off with the right kind of mental attitude, and then you talked about diet. So I have a diet question, but first I have a mental question. Do you do mantras or do you meditating or is it the physical fitness that gives you the mental 
reboot every day? Like what are the things you do to set yourself up for the right attitude before you put food in your body? Um, I think the quiet time I have with just me and my brain, <laughs> my brain speaking and me trying to listen to whatever it's trying to say and figure out what's going on. So I find that when um, I do the athletic stuff. So I alternate, you know, and I try to do this in the morning. So it's the first thing that I can get going and think about. I either do a run, uh, a couple miles of, uh, of running. I'll do a couple miles on the bike on an alternate day, or I'll just go to the gym and, and put the headphones on for an hour and just listen to music and think about my thoughts and continually telling myself, you know, you can win this. You can win this battle. You know, leukemia is a battle. And you just got to go in there like any army does, fight the enemy and get out. And so that, that battle is in your consciousness daily, all the time. Is there times where you're not aware of it? By minute, literally minute by minute. Uh huh. Everything, it's just, it's always there. You know, you're always thinking in the back of your head, even when you're working and doing your life, you know, what can I do to stay alive? What can I do in an hour from now to make my insides better? How, so, how long have you been battling this? So <laughs> it was really strange. I walked into my doctor. I was uh, talking to him about something, a procedure I wanted to maybe do. And he said, well, we got to do a blood test. And by the third time he sent me in for a blood test, you know, I, I was kind of knowing something was up. Uh, so this was about 2006. You know, I'm feeling as strong as possible. I'm running marathons. Life is great. And, you know, the doctor sits you down. He says, I'm sorry, Mr. Marish, but you have cancer. I mean, it just was like, what? I'm sorry, what did you say? And, you know, after him repeating it a couple of times in his bedside manner, it wasn't so good, <laughs> which made it even more of a blow. But, you know, um, it was, you know, it was surreal. Um, I just kind of sat there and, kept hearing him say the same words over and over again as, you know, Vicky said, well, what do we do about it? How do we fix this? I mean, she got right into, you know, how do I save my husband where I, I drifted off in that moment. I just couldn't, I couldn't, it's, it, it took me a long time to grasp the concept of having cancer. Completely, completely understandable. And that leads me to something that I'm aware of. And that is, you elected, uh, and you know, your daughters were quite young at that time, but you elected to not share this news with your daughters for quite some time. How long was it? You got diagnosed in 2006. How long was it before you told your children? I think I know it had to be somewhere at least four years. Mm -hmm. It was a year before I even told my parents. Mm -hmm. I was just kind of like, it was a year before I told anybody. Um, they were the first and I think we just started to let some family members know. And obviously you and your wife are very close with us. I think you were one of the first to know. Yep. And, and what do you think holding it, keeping it private for that long? Do you think that was a good thing, a bad thing, the right thing, you know, anything you would have done different and reflecting backwards? I was trying to understand what was, what it was and how it was going to affect me. Um, for the first two years, even though they told me I had leukemia, I had no symptoms at all. So I was like, well, I'm fine. And you're having me do all these blood tests, but I, you know, I, I feel great. You know, nothing's wrong with me. And then all of a sudden it hit me. Uh, two years later, I just, I started getting 
sick and more sick and more sick. And, you know, then after doing all the blood tests, what was happening with me is my white blood cell counts were going up. They were skyrocketing. Once it hit past 25,000, shooting up over 100,000 of the counts, it was, I got so sick that that's when I finally realized what was going on with me mm-hmm. and how the, the cancer, the sickness is affecting me. Uh, it was, it was awful. It's totally broken down. So I couldn't even function and get around the house. It's just the way to describe it is the worst kind of sick you can feel and you just can't function. I'm sorry. I kind of got off on a tangent, but you're asking me about the kids Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it was like four years before I finally told him and it was a, a therapist that I was dealing with that was saying, what are you doing? You're not telling your kids they need to go through this with you and they need to understand what's going on with their father. And I was, and they were at five, six, seven, eight when I first found out and I just didn't want it. I didn't think they'd get it. And I didn't want to worry them about something that, where, well, daddy's not going to die tomorrow. So nothing, don't freak out. You know, leukemia takes you over a long period of time. So I just didn't want to worry them. In hindsight, I don't know if I, you know, I did what I did to protect the kids from being worried about daddy's sick. Do you think it took a toll on you? Absolutely. Not not telling people. Yeah, absolutely. It took a toll on, on me personally, trying to keep it a secret. And I don't know why. I, I think that I was living such a great life at the time. I didn't want anybody to think that there was anything wrong going on in my life. Michael Marish is living the perfect life. And that's what I wanted everybody to believe. So, Michael, let me ask you a question. I, I'm certain that, you know, it's really scary to get that diagnosis. And then it's really scary once you first start getting the symptoms. So I, I know that there's fear involved. There's no denying that. I'm curious now that it's 13 years later, do you still feel fear or is it more like you just have to cope with it? You've become numb to the fear. I'm just curious, like how, how do you, how do you deal with this or what does it feel like on a daily basis? You never get away from the fear, Rob. Mm -hmm. It's always there. Like I said, every morning I wake up and I think about how I'm going to live for another year. Mm -hmm. It's scary to think that maybe one day I'll just be gone and leave Vicky with trying to raise kids and go through life, you know, without me. Yeah. It It never goes, it never goes away. Never goes away. Now, do you, and thank you for sharing that. Do do you, how often do you find gratitude? Sorry. (laughs) No, don't be sorry at all. That's, that's why we're here. You know, Go ahead. <laughs> Take your time. No, you're great. Um, how often do you find yourself grateful, feeling gratitude for your life? I think I feel that the most when my friends reach out to me on Facebook. Mm-hmm. I think Facebook for me and talking about my my journey has been one of the biggest healing methods for me mm-hmm. because um, I usually post um, stuff about my health only when I'm not doing well, typically. Uh, otherwise everybody sees that I'm doing great and happy and everything. But when I'm not doing well, I, I get so much support from my friends on Facebook and the comments and the likes and people calling me, 
and just telling me to stay strong. I, I can't begin to tell you what three words from somebody on Facebook can do to my my mental drive to keep pushing harder than I do. It's um, it's big for me, and it helps me get through the day. I love that. I, I, love that. I gotta stick around, and I'm loved. There's no no reason to give up. Yeah, no, I love now, that. In the midst of all that, you know, I gotta keep living. I gotta keep working. I gotta keep taking care of the family. You know, I gotta buy the groceries and walk the dogs. And you know, here's the thing with disease, at least in my eyes. I mean, life doesn't stop. So I think that the biggest thing to push you is is that you accept the fact that you have to keep going regardless of the disease. The disease is not an excuse to let you stop. You know, it may hinder you on certain days because you have to uh, manage your body and I got to go see doctors and things like that. But but me lying on bed and, and, oh, I can't, you know, even when I've been at my sickest, Rob, I mean, where I can just barely move, I still got to get up and walk around and do the laundry and I may not do it as fast as I normally do, but I still have to do it. And and does that does that give you some comfort in a way? It's like those daily, the daily drudgery that we all deal with. You know, I got to run to the bank. I got to put gas in the car. I got to pick up the kid, whatever that is. Like, does that give you some level of comfort of like, hey, there's this next thing that I got to do. And that's part of the, the oh, drive yeah. to keep going. Yeah, that's absolute to drive internally, especially you know, having a family, you're, you know, you're dependent upon and, you know, everybody expects you to do the daddy stuff and, uh, and you got to do it, you know, regardless if you're sick or not. Uh, you know, there are some times when I'm just like, that might be a little bit too much for me, but for the most part, I can't really say no. I just, I got to do and muster up some kind of energy. So yes, that, that need from my family that need to go to work, that need to, you know, do things helps me have the drive to push forward. Like I got to keep going. What I'm hearing is I I don't have time to be sick. Right. And and what I'm hearing too is like the, the fact that you're needed in any way, whether it's being a dad, which is super important or whether it's doing the laundry, which is less important. That fact that, you are needed in some way really fuels your strength to, to, to persevere. Oh yeah. I mean, there's been times when, you know, I've been, you know, I'm in the event business. So my thing, my big days are, you know, every few weeks or every, you know, once a month or two, twice a month, you know, is when the production team gets together and everything happens. And even when I've been super, super sick, it's those, goals, that date that's coming up, that's help keeps me getting up in the morning, pushing through the disease. And like I said, I don't have time to be sick. I got an event to produce in a, you know, in a week. It's, so, it's, it's literally something to live for. It's literally, yes, exactly. And so having that, that goal to get to, you know, helps me get up in the morning and not lie in bed and say, woe is me, I'm sick. So, you know, something we talked about at the very beginning was you talked about diet and obviously, you know, in Los Angeles, particularly where you live, uh, you know, people are always on some kind of crazy 
gluten-free diet or they're vegan or they're this or they're that. And I know that there's some diets that you know people have claimed are helpful in battling cancer. Have you tried anything? Have you ever considered going vegetarian or vegan or anything like that? Have you tried stuff that might combat your disease? Um, you know, in the so many years that I've had this, of course, the intense amount of research that I've done on anything that can have any kind of impact on what I'm going through, I feel like I've been exposed to. Mm -hmm. um, I have tried lots of things. I continue to do things, uh, you know, certain foods or certain way of drinking, you know, like pH, you know, alkaline water. You, who knows if it all works, you know? And everybody says, no, you have to do this um, if you want to get rid of cancer. And I think it's a mix of all sorts of things. I don't think any, you know, I don't, I... I'm not a scientist enough to know or have the time to do the research enough to know, to say, hey, what this guy found to be a cancer solver is actually works, you know? So um, because I don't have that time, you know, you, you, you take the credibility of certain organizations and, and things that you hear over and over and over and over and over again, and you're like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll start eating those foods and does it all work? I don't know. You know, I, I think the thing, if I was to say what works for me, it's anything having to do with the physical fitness part of life. That's the thing um, that seems to help the most. The diet comes with the physical fitness. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to have a six pack at my age, which is, would be wonderful. <laughs> I, I, I have to eat the certain correct foods and drink the certain you know amount of water uh, and not put the toxins in my body. So I think by me following that kind of regimen and then doing the workouts and doing the running and the cardio and keeping everything active is what's, what's kept me going and strong. Awesome. I love that. So th this feels like the right time for me to share the quote I picked for you. And I purposefully not only picked a quote that I think was poignant, but also one that came from someone in the entertainment business. So this is a quote from Michael Douglas who survived throat cancer. And his quote, and I want your response or reaction to this, if it resonates with you or relates to you. He said, cancer didn't bring me to my knees. It brought me to my feet. I don't know if I understand that quote. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I, what I get out of that, uh -huh. um, and it's funny, it's the first time I've read a quote to someone and they're like, I don't get it. <laughs> I love that. Um, so new, new opportunity here on Clear Choices. Um, the, what I hear in that quote is it didn't knock him down. It made him stand up and fight harder. That's what I hear. It definitely made me a better person. I, I, I will absolutely say that the minute that I started to say to myself, okay, I got to fight this and I got to make a many lifestyle changes to fight this. That was the part where I started becoming a better person. I mean, one of the very first things <laughs> you know, I did was, was the diet part. So, um, one of my more fluent friends was kind enough to send me her chef for like two weeks. And her specialty is making foods that fight cancers. And she knows all the different cancers and what foods fight each specific cancer. So she came to our house and, and first thing she did is she said 95% of the stuff that's in your refrigerator and in your cupboard have got to go. 
Mm-hmm. And all of this stuff is, is unedible for your diet. Um, and you shouldn't feed it to your family anyway. So off it went, you know, I think we gave it, gave it to other people, but yeah, that was the very first thing. And then, okay. I learning how to eat properly was, was the next big step. I mean, I, I feel so much better because I made that decision, that lifestyle change that maybe I wouldn't have done if I didn't get the cancer. My diet prior to cancer was comprised of Carl's Jr., Shakey's Pizzas, more soda than I could put in a gallon. I mean, I just, I ate terrible. I put the worst crap in my body. And as much as I worked out, I didn't see results as I wanted to. So, so yeah, diet and physical fitness and all of that was a benefit. Dealing with other people was a benefit of having this disease under having empathy for other people. Yeah. That, and that's exactly where I wanted to go. Cause when you said, Hey, I've become a better person. Yeah. I want to hear not any more about the diet per se, but about what are the ways in which you feel like you've become a better person? How has this changed who you are? Prior to that, my lifestyle was, um, was party life, you know, and it was just pushing it to the edge and having as much fun as I could with no restrictions and kind of the attitude of, of the world evolved around me. After that, I realized how weak I was as a, as a human anatomy entity mm-hmm. that I was this, this big ball of flesh that could break down. And so could everybody else. And so now I'm dealing with the struggle of, oh my God, my life could end anytime sooner than when it was supposed to. And all these other people are dealing with that same horrific fear. And it is a horrific fear, especially because I've met so many people with illnesses that are not mentally where I'm at right now and never get there. And all of a sudden I go to the chemo place and it's like, where's you know Joanne? She passed away. What do you mean she passed away? Sitting with her two weeks ago, she was fine. And she didn't make it. Mm. So that's hard. So knowing that other people are going through this intense fear of, of what do I do? You know, how is my family going to be affected by this? Makes you empathetic. Makes you want to reach out to other people and say, hey, I know what you're going through. And maybe I got a few ideas to help you get through it. And if you can help a person just a little bit, who's going through an equal battle, you know, that's, that's a, that's a good feeling for you in the mental state of dealing with your own cancer. Absolutely. What, tell me what different choices have you made around your family, around your wife and children since your awareness of, of the illness? How has that changed how you are as a dad and a husband? The party life definitely stopped right away. (laughs) And it was time. You know, I was at that age. I don't drink alcohol, you know, I don't put other substances in my body. And I, I think it, that was, that was good for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I needed that at that time. Mm-hmm. It's great to be able to walk into a bar and not know that I'm going to drop $4 on a soft drink or a water than the, the hundreds or more I used to spend in the old days. So, so that, that changed. It really, I, I think the biggest thing that I, I've gotten out of this is the the closeness and support I've gotten from my wife Vicky. Uh, without Vicky, I'd I'd be dead. Let's just 
I mean, and without going into another three hour conversation, I would definitely be dead without my wife, especially during all the crazy insurance stuff that was going on at the end of the Bush years and the pre Obamacare stuff that was, that was tough to get through and fighting the insurance companies. It was Vicky that, that got them to do what they did for me. And, and I'm alive because of her. That, that healthcare act really saved you guys too. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, when I got leukemia, my health insurance was like for the family, I think $400 a month as with Anthem blue cross. Uh, after they found out I got the leukemia, they started upgrading me a hundred dollars a month, every month without, you know, any breaks. Uh, eventually it got to about $3,500 a month where I said, I can't afford this anymore. Otherwise I can't pay my mortgage or feed my family. And we had to drop the health insurance and I had no insurance. And, um, and I was sick and I was getting sicker and more sick and, uh, Medi-Cal wasn't kicking in for some reason. And then, uh, Obamacare got passed. Uh, but they were having all the problems with the website. Do you remember for months? I do. I do. I kept getting on and getting an account. And then they kicked me out of the account because they said I was like on Medi-Cal. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be on Medi-Cal. I need to have, you know, good PPO insurance. And uh, so finally I wrote the president and I said, hey, Mr. President, you know, I voted for you. I need your Obamacare and it's not working. I can't get in. You know, can you help me? Two days later, I see on the phone, the White House. Are you kidding? Picked up the phone, said Hello. Hello, Mr. Marish, is the White House calling? The president got your email and he wants to help you out. He's going to put you in touch with the Secretary of Human Services. And she's going to, she, I think it was a she, uh, they, they will help you out. Got a direct line. Hi, the president told me he was calling him. I'm going to put you in touch with the people in California who are going to help you with the, getting your accounts. Within a week, I had everything fixed. Within two weeks, I got my chemo just at the perfect time. Uh, I, I wonder if uh, our current administration would be that responsive. Because of the current administration and the current tax plan, my health insurance will be $39,000 this year. Are you kidding me? 2600 bucks a month plus an $8,000 deductible I have to hit. So that's what you're paying right that's now? That's what I'm paying you're... in 2020. Wow. So I ask you, Rob, I sit here today and you ask me about that fear factor, right? That's fearful. Today yeah. is December, what, 12th, 13th? I have two days to decide if I can afford Trump's new health insurance. If not, then I'm without insurance. So not, you know, look, I I didn't intend to go down this path, but it's a curious conversation. So what changed? And I don't, I'm asking because I truly don't know what changed since this new administration came in to the tax and healthcare codes that now caused your cost to go up so much? Um, well, they got rid of the mandate, which I believed in. I believe that everybody should pay into the healthcare system because it is inevitable. You will need healthcare. Everybody does. The, the people that die without anything going wrong with them, anytime, forever in their life is very, very tiny numbers. Most times you will have to, you will have to deal with something catastrophic in your life at some point because everybody dies. That's the fact. And in the old system, you know, you choke the hospital, you don't have insurance, the taxpayers pay for it. With this, everybody contributes, the taxpayers don't pay so much, and all the health insurance costs go down. 
everybody's got their opinion about this theory. In my research, I believe this theory to be true. So I was for the mandate. Trump got rid of the mandate. All that extra money from the young people are gone, like we do with Social Security. You know, the young pay in, the old get the, the benefits. And what was your what was your monthly cost prior to the loss of the mandate? Uh, I think when Obamacare first started for the family, it was like four or maybe $500 a month. So it's only a, you know, $2,200 increase a month. Yes. Sheesh. So the average person in Los Angeles makes $66,000 a year. That's the median income between the low and the high. Mm -hmm. Um, We're a little bit higher, but even then it's like, who can afford $39,000 for health insurance, you know? Well, and the bigger thing is who should have to? No one should have to. That's really the the bigger question. Of course, many people can't afford what would amount to half their average salary, but they shouldn't have to. That's the bigger problem in question. Have you ever considered being involved in any kind of healthcare advocacy since you've been sort of majorly impacted by these these health insurance concerns? I actually helped. Um, well, I wrote what I would call the hospital transparency act, which I submitted to Senator Henry Stern's office. Um, and hopefully they kicking it around still, uh, which basically had a demand of hospitals telling you what your certain expenses are going to be on, on procedures and things that they can perceive that this is pretty much how it's going to go. Um, mm-hmm. so many times, uh, you know, the doctors tell me you need this and that procedure. And I'm, I said, how much? Well, we can't tell you. We don't know. Well, isn't this something you do all the time? Well, yeah, but we can't tell you what it's going to cost because, you know, it might have something else might happen to you. Okay. I get that. But what's it normally, you know, in a perfect world, everything goes normal. What's it going to cost? Oh, we can't tell you that. So that was a big problem with me. So I got into that and that's something I've been fighting for that the hospitals be honest and telling you what your perceived cost could be, you know, minus any thing going left or right. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I've, I've gotten into lately. Yeah. No, it's an interesting, uh, separate topic. I could do an entire episode on just health insurance, yeah. but Michael, let me end with sort of an open ended question. And that is when you look at, the choices you've made and the way you're going about making choices in your life related to the disease and, and, or, and, or impacted by having lived with the disease. Now, what, what things do you want to leave the listeners with in terms of some of the things that have been most helpful in your life in terms of how you go about thinking about your choices and processing and getting to some of the decisions, tough decisions you need to make in your life? What would you like to leave our audience with? Sure. I want to say to anybody that has to deal with this life problem or any kind of thing that's challenging you in the same way is to not give up and to know that even when it's, even when your day has hit its worst, that means it can only get better from that point. If you say that to yourself in your head, like I do, uh, even though I'm sick, I can get better. That's the fight that you got to be willing to fight and not have people. You don't want sympathy. I don't want your sympathy. I want you to say, Michael, keep going, keep yeah. fighting, you know, don't give up. 
And that battle is, is the fight you got to deal with every day. You know, one thing we haven't talked about is that, you know, a month ago I was in the hospital for two weeks, for a couple of weeks because of congestive heart failure, you know? Um, and that, that was a whole nother battle. So I've learned the war. I've learned how to fight battles in the war with the leukemia, going through all of that. Now I got the heart disease that kicked in and, and I already knew how to fight the war. So fighting this new battle made it a lot easier to deal with. You know, I'm out of the hospital now, heart's healing, I'm doing great. Doctor told me yesterday I can start working out again and run and push my body like I did before the heart problems. I mean, I fought. I fought. I did everything I needed to do and pushed myself. And now I'm out of the hospital. I'm sitting at my desk talking to you, feeling great about my life. I'm going to have a good weekend with my friends. Michael, I love how you talk about the fighting spirit. It's so important for all of us to hear and be reminded of that. Talk to us about something you did later in life that really demonstrates that fighting spirit. Well, I never had a college degree. And um, I've worked my whole life under my own business, um, mostly because I didn't have a college degree. Not a lot of companies would hire me. So I just created my own business and, and basically ran my own company for 30 years. All right, you know, I was always pushing to my daughters how important education is. And, you know, one of the things you want as a father is for your daughters or your kids, you know, go to college, get a good career and, you know, hopefully make a decent amount of money in their life. Um, so I'm sitting there. It's uh, one week, week night with the, do- with the girls at the dining room table. They're doing their homework. And, you know, I'm harping them about, hey, you got to finish your homework. You got to uh, stay good in school and school's important so you can get into college and get a degree. And right there, Chloe, my 10-year-old, stops me and says, Daddy, where did you get your degree? I was like, daddy didn't get his degree. She said, oh, okay. But that just sunk on me the whole night, um, really weighed on me. And I'm sitting here trying to push something that I didn't even do myself. And so the next day, I called up Pierce College and enrolled in my first two classes. Uh, I hadn't been back to community college at least since I was 18. Um, which was a poor success attempt at that age. I was so young and I was on the road, so I couldn't do school um, touring. But uh, this time I thought, you know, I'm I'm close to the college. I I got my own hours. I can take three hours out of the week and dedicate to my education. And I just start going to school and take, you know, one to two classes a semester and loved it. Absolutely loved it. I felt like I was way more engaged and knowledgeable in things in my older years. And I was a lot more curious to know about stuff in my older years than I was when I was 18. So, you know, I got A's. I was the top in the class. In most of my classes, I got the top grade. I found that I was way smarter than the young kids coming in. So I felt like I can do this, you know, because I'm doing it better than them. How did that, how did that impact your daughters who, you know, you'd been pushing them to do well in school, like so many parents will. And then they kind of called you out on the fact that you hadn't pursued the same path that you are advocating for them to pursue. 
And then you go on and get your associate's degree. You graduate at a high level. How did that impact your girls? I think it will show them that, hey, I at least took one step. You know, I didn't get the four-year degree, but I did get the two-year degree. I got it with honors, too. (laughs) Um, I was a member of Phi Theta Kappa Honor Society and um, member of the part-time dean's list. So I got all those accolades, and I was just like, you know, this – I understand what you're going through because I'm doing the same work. I'm taking the biology class. I'm taking the history classes. I'm taking all the classes you're taking, you know, the, the calculus or the algebras twos, the, you know, I'm doing it. So uh, I can help them with it. But I think it's just like, look, I did a little bit of it in my late life. So there's no reason why you can't do it in your early years and just knock it out and not make the same mistake daddy did which has put it off 30 years. So I hope that I inspired, um, and I know Chloe's already been accepted to two colleges, so that's that's a good thing. And, you know, for me, I feel just a little bit more smarter than I did before that, and I got this piece of paper to prove it. And um, Felt like you kind of checked something off your list that was maybe causing you some self-doubt, and now you've kind of said, you've proven that, you could do it, and and it says something about you know you doing it at the age you did it at. It just said to me, I'm smart. You know, I got A's. I, I was top in the class. I'm a smart guy. You know, and if and if I do continue to go on and get my four year degree, which hopefully by the time I die I will, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll just prove to myself that yeah, I'm as smart as I think I am, and I deserve every bit of success that has come my way because. I'm intelligent and I proved it and I got the piece of paper to show it. Well, I, I, I love that. And uh, I love a, that you did it. Cause you know, there was really a two pronged component, right? You did it for yourself because yeah. there was a certain missing in your own life around that. And then you were also a real role model for your kids. I was trying to do both, but like you said, the check boxes, you know, those check boxes in life are important. You know, we hear our parents tell us about, you got to hit that mark. You got to hit that mark. And if you don't, you're going to be behind. And it's true, you know, and especially in the corporate world, you know, you just, you can't get a job without a degree. You can't get in the door at least it's yeah. nowadays. Well, I am very, uh, I'm proud of you for doing that. That's a really, it's a really cool thing to have done uh, at, at any age, but particularly when you're, you know, pushing 50, that's a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah. It's just great to push your intellect, even at this age, you know, when we're smarter and wiser to keep challenging yourself. Yeah. I think, and I see why people go on to get their doctorate degrees. Yeah. It's, it's a great rush to learn all this information and retain it. And I'm excited to kind of hopefully keep doing it. Awesome. Hey, well, I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for being vulnerable Thank you for sharing your story. I know that uh, our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. Thanks for having me, Rob. I appreciate it. I just, you know, there's a lot of love out in the world, and I hope everybody gets to find those people that will support them through any challenges that they're going through in their own life. Those people are out there. You just got to reach out and grab them. Well, I know that uh, the Clear Choices community, when they hear your story, with your permission, will put your Facebook link up there and see if you can get some love from Clear Choices. Sure. Go ahead and reach out to me. All right. Thanks, Michael. You got it, Rob. 
Thank you so much for joining us. If you've been inspired and motivated by what you heard today, please subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode. Post it on social media, invite friends, and let me know if you have any potential guests. While you're there, leave us a review. We'd love to connect with you as well, so check out our Facebook page by searching Clear Choices. I'm available for speaking engagements, and you can find more information by visiting our website at clearchoices.live. And all this can be found in our show notes. Join us next week for more inspiring stories that can help us all make clear choices. Thanks for listening.